0: You're listening to Broadcast Behind the Screens, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast and Broadcast Intelligence. This week, we're bringing you a reality special, where I'm joined by Joe Mace from ITV, Nazleen Kareem from Monkey Kingdom, and Dan Nettleton from Bandicoot to discuss all things reality TV. Hi, everyone,
1: and welcome to week four. I'm Alice Fredman, Head of Content for Broadcast Intelligence.
0: And I'm Heather Fallon, one of the reporters for Broadcast.
1: So we are back from Sheffield on stable Wi Fi, but still on stable ground as we are both massively busy at the moment and have had lots going on this week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're still recovering from DocFest, which was last week. I would say, in terms of the key talking points, they were around safeguarding participants and creators. It was a really interesting panel from the film and TV charity about safety and ensuring that there isn't a toxic environment and bullying in the workplace. There was also constant chatter about the increasing impact of digital viewing and how that's impacting the way that the people watch documentaries in particular, there was a really great panel with Skye's Poppy Dixon where she was talking about how she's a lot more length agnostic when it comes to commissioning shows which is really interesting and just from asking around I think we can both agree the kind of big doc on the block at Sheffield was the Sinead O'Connor nothing compares. Mm.
1: It It was amazing and I think Personally, one of my highlights was the Channel 4 Pride panel that was, A, perfectly timed, got me right in the mood to get back to London and celebrate Pride on Saturday. But also, everyone speaking on the panel had so much interesting stuff to say about how we how we look at queer and LGBTQ plus stories, and I really enjoyed it and thought it was a really interesting conversation.
0: Also in factual land, Broadcast Intelligence is very happy to welcome the latest streamer on the block, Paramount Plus in the UK. And it was chaired by our very own podcast host here, Alice. So what what were the key things that stood out to you?
1: I think what's really exciting, and we've both kind of heard this at the Paramount Plus panel at DocFest and then at our own Paramount Plus panel, was the rights positioning of paramount plus they only are looking for uk rights which gives creators and indies and producers you know a chance to exploit the second window exploit the us but it also means that it's not they're not also not shutting off shows to the us as well you know some shows will be a paramount plus global show that's come out of the uk and some shows will be a paramount plus show in the uk and then be able to be sold all over so i think that's really a really exciting proposition and one we haven't heard from any of these big global streamers that have launched in the uk so i think i'm excited and interested to see how how the community responds to that and what the success of the shows are not just in the uk but also globally
0: absolutely
1: and in other news and maybe the most important news (laughs) stranger things part two came out this friday it's already broken Nielsen streaming records in the States. And I even saw on actor David Harbour's Instagram that Netflix's servers in the US crashed in the early hours of Friday morning. That's how popular
0: it was. Oh, God. I actually downloaded it because uh, I moved house this week and I downloaded the episodes when they came out on the Friday so that I could watch them over the weekend without internet. But I still haven't got round to it and people keep texting me, telling me I need to watch it now. So I've been tentatively avoiding social media, just waiting for... Because they're both really long, right? Are they like two hours each?
1: The first one I think is an hour and then the second one is... I think two and a half hours, but I could be wrong. I, I did have a it,
0: big commitment on my hands.
1: <laughs> I did it all in one go on Friday night and um, had, we had to take several breaks and oh but we made an event of it. And I think, I think that was what was good about it. It was event television mm. for Netflix. And mm. I really hope in a way, and this is in a, also in a kind of personal way that they released the last series weekly to kind of create that event, create that conversation, but also so I don't have to watch 10 hours of TV in one go to then avoid spoilers on the internet.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely think there's a lot of momentum builds. So, like, I remember when Euphoria and Succession were coming out weekly, the conversation was always building up to the next one. And in a weird way, TV seems to have come full circle where we're all really excited for weekly drops again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Like, when binging was happening... Everyone was like, this is the future. We need all of the episodes all at once. And now we've had a good five plus, I would say, years of that. And now we want it weekly.
0: I just need, I need time. Too busy.
1: (laughs) I have a live Netflix.
0: So other than Strange Things, what have you been watching, Alice? So...
1: This week, I finished um, HBO series, The Time Traveller's Wife, which I absolutely loved. I can't remember if I spoke about it on this podcast before and cut it out, or if I've just spoken about it on this podcast before, because that's how much I really enjoyed it. And I was like, I've had no one else talking about this. I can't be the only person talking about this and loving it. But I think I was, because I opened my inbox this morning and found out that HBO have cancelled it and there won't be a second series. Oh, no. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> gutted.
0: Oh, bless you. I've been, because I've been moving, I haven't really had a chance. But when we were in Sheffield, we, because I'm a young, fun person, I watch loads of my stuff digitally. I don't really watch stuff on Linear telly anymore. And then when we were in our various hotel rooms, I stuck on Love Island and I haven't watched it this series but it was a Monday night and it was nine o'clock and I was just scrolling through the channels and I was like oh I'm gonna check out Love Island and since I watched that episode I've watched it every night since at nine o'clock on the dot
1: (laughs) you are a young fun person digital only (laughs) except for Love Island
0: I know an appointment to viewing is great I'm really into it but also me and my housemate have been watching it together and there is really something to be said about that kind of shared experience where you're just chatting away while something's on it was, it's been really nice
1: mm. I feel like the subheading of this podcast should be Alice and Heather make a case for appointment viewing because <laughs> we, we po- have
0: our own agenda
1: But speaking of Love Island, this week you spoke to some exciting guests: Joe Mace uh, from ITV, Nazli Karim from Monkey Kingdom, and Dan Nelson from Bandicoot, all about reality.
0: Yes, I don't know if we've if we've mentioned this on the podcast actually, but we've both been obsessed with Pandora Sykes and Shirin Kahlo's podcast series, Unreal, and we both were going on about how many more questions we had, especially about reality and what that looks like in 2022. So I suppose that leads us quite nicely into this week's guests. Yep, listen on to find out more. So, yeah, uh, we are here to talk about the wonderful world of reality TV. I am joined by ITV Entertainment Commissioner Joe Mace, Creative Director of Bandicoot, which is behind shows such as The Mask Singer Dan Nettleton and Naz Kareem, who currently oversees the iconic long-running reality series Made in Chelsea. Hello. So uh, Dan I wanted to start with you because you previously worked on what is arguably the original reality TV show and global phenomenon that is Big Brother. And you're both a task producer and a series producer on different iterations of the show. And now Bandicoot is looking to kind of move into the reality space. So I wanted to know, first of all, what you think has changed over the last decade or so, and why now are you looking back to reality?
2: I think the genre is, evolved beyond recognition from the early days of shows like MTV's real life and then subsequently Big Brother, etc. Having said that, I also think that there are every now and again you get glimpses of bygone eras of I think when, when Love Island returned, it was the first sort of formatted reality show that that's sort of harked back to the traditions of the Big Brother show. And so I feel like it has evolved, but there are there's lots of tropes and lots of things that have stuck with the with the genre throughout. So it's it's the same but different i'm going to say for that and bandicoot yeah we you know derek and i have a history of game shows and quiz shows and shiny floor shows and also reality shows and obviously the first five years of bandicoot has been taken up the last three years particularly with with the Mars universe right <laughs> yes and so and so we've sort of filled up we're, we're serving that space now and so we're quite itchy to get out fingers sort of dirty back in the reality space and we've been having some success out in the states we've got a development deal with with a streamer and we've got another show in development over here in the uk so yeah that's it's a focus that we we'd like to exploit going forward
0: it's really exciting and there's definitely appetite naz made in chelsea has been going for 23 series now uh, i know you haven't overseen it the entire time but same question to you in terms of how much you've seen the landscape change and also how that's kind of shaped your view of the genre
3: I think the audience have been craving more relatability with those that they see on screen so with us you know in particular we have been bold in trying to like pursue storylines or topics that aren't your traditional storylines like a like a love triangle or something like that so we will broach subjects such as you know alopecia grieving over the loss of a parent or you know surrogacy you know with Ollie and and Gareth's journey so I think it's that it's that relatability so even if you're not going through that yourself at this moment in time maybe you know someone who is and and it's that feeling that you're not alone you're not going through this by yourself
0: yeah and kind of picking up on that relatability and the way that things have changed Joe. when you're looking at entertainment on ITV how much do you think that has evolved and also You had a really interesting journey to become an ITV (laughs) entertainment commissioner. I don't know if you want to sprinkle in some of your past credits.
4: (laughs) No, thank you. Do you know what? I think the point about authenticity though is really interesting because we've seen it in popular culture over the last 10 years. We've seen it in music, uh, we've seen it in politics, we see it in television that the desire driven probably by social media. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm no scientist, but the desire to be closer to realness and people that you feel connected to, it has sort of, um, has fed obviously into what we do and fed outwards, you know. I think the success of a show, for example, like I'm a Celebrity, we're in season 21 or 22. One of the reasons I think it's managed to survive that long, like Chelsea, is that it's been able to evolve but at its core, it's about, you know, putting people in situations where they're able to show their real selves. And that's what's so, you know, it's vulnerable, but it's incredibly, you know, watchable. And yeah, so I suppose that's what I feel like has changed a little bit over the time. And looking for shows now, I think the time where things were really produced, really overproduced, you know, whether they were studio shows or other sorts of shows, they feel a bit out of place now. People know that there's production that goes into a show, but they don't they don't want to necessarily feel like there's too many of them in the way of them experiencing what the what the people in the shows are experiencing.
2: Yeah I think you can I think you can um chart how authentic a show feels with how prevalent the producer's hand is. So as what Joe's saying, that the more you feel like something's produced, for example, shows like Made in Chelsea are as probably authentic as reality TV does get. Now Love Island is very much a formatted precinct where they're told to recouple up. And that is not a natural, authentic thing to do. And you can see the producer's hand very much so in shows like Love Island, whereas in a show like Made in Chelsea, you do not. So I feel like that's where authenticity and a producer's hand meet.
0: That's really interesting. And that was kind of the next thing that I wanted to ask is finding that balance between constructing a series where you want there to be drama and you want to kind of encourage things to happen and points of interest like with a recoupling on Love Island for instance but at the same time the best tv moments are those really authentic almost spur of the moment like the who is she in Big Brother that everyone just immediately jumped on because you understand it and you see a little glimpse of yourself and even in a show like Made in Chelsea where they are very affluent people that you can't I mean in a lot of ways you cannot relate to their life whatsoever but when you see someone like Tiffany tackling the subject of her miscarriage there's these real authentic moments that connect a viewer but I'm interested in where you guys find that line to draw between making sure that the story is constantly moving and that there's a point of interest and ensuring that it then doesn't mean the producer's hand is so heavy handed that people lose interest.
3: I think communication between the cast and the production team are key. So if you are really close with your cast, you know what's going on within their lives, you know what's going to unfold, then I think that's very much, it's all about just actually informing everyone else, this is what's going down, how best do we facilitate that or capture it on camera and make it digestible to the viewer. So I think it's it's sort of less about showing our hand and pushing it and pulling it. It's actually this is what's really happening. How best can we capture it without interfering with it? Because that's the best way that it feels real and it, and you engage with it more powerfully.
4: Yeah, it's just it, it's interesting that the sort of spectrum of shows that you can talk about under the banner of reality. So incredibly broad. You know, at one end you've got a singing talent show, and the other end you've got a sort of real housewives show and in the middle, there's a billion other shows that have variations of format in them. Um, you know, we we we're all in the business of creating content that we hope people will love and come back to, and just finding that line that that is sort of like is a constantly evolving process. I know that's a bit of a woolly answer, but it feels like every show is a bit different in terms of how you you get the best out of your idea. Well also keeping true to the authenticity of whatever it is, whatever the pursuit is the purpose is of that show
0: when you're looking at a pitch for instance what jumps out at you and can you kind of can you tell from the off if something is really gonna you can read it and you can almost imagine what's going to happen and you almost know immediately that the show is going to have that spark or is that something you really have to hone through the development and casting process
4: well, I mean it's 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 that's a million dollar or million pound question as you think. You know, you think with experience you're gonna be able to get better at spotting things, but you know, all sorts of things just come out of the blue and you you don't think are gonna work. I mean, the classic one being Mars singer, like who would have thought, you know, we'd be sitting here now four seasons in, you know, with this huge cultural phenomenon not, which... not
2: you joe mace not you,
4: you <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah thank you dan um you know that, I, I i've said it before when they first brought it to me i was like i'm not sure about this and it, it was when it became a hit on fox i was like yeah no maybe there is something in this um but do you know what i mean you can that's that's another podcast about all the things that i've made mistakes about but um i think can you spot it first in the pitch sometimes you can mm. yeah
3: i always like when cast surprise you so when they do stuff like break the fourth wall and not to be like trendy or whatever you know jump on the zeitgeist but when genuinely actually no you said that to me on camera last week and you're like yeah at that moment in time that's so visceral and it's so relatable and you're like yeah I get it and there's no running away from that um so that's what I really like and then I was just thinking you know embracing their social media they're all on Instagram they're all doing drunken insta stories so yeah of course why not follow it you know, I think that's really important as well.
0: And I think you kind of hit on a on a major aspect of how much reality TV has changed now is the impact of social media. You kind of can't ignore that anymore. Whether it's something like with the massing, you've got people tweeting along who they think it is, or you've got people commenting on people in Made in Chelsea's Instagram accounts, and they have to be hyper aware of how they conduct themselves because ultimately there's this whole world now where... If they ha- if people have a judgment, they can almost directly interact with the person that it affects. So how do you how do you manage those expectations, both with celebrity cast who might already be fairly well versed in it, and then also up and coming stars?
2: Yeah, well, weirdly, because our characters aren't revealed, we're quite annoying to a lot of people on social media, celebrities-wise, because no one actually knows who anyone actually is. I know that. Um, Kim Marsh gets hounded every single year uh, by by people accusing her of being one character or another. Great
0: one but, that was like, Peter, uh, loads of people thought it was um, Peter Crouch and he put a tweet out that was like, I'm not a singing tree, please leave me alone.
2: Yeah, and that's like a red rag to a bull because that could be a double bluff. Yeah, we've got, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very complicated world of cluing and, and guessing and social media has grabbed hold of so, yeah, just coming out and saying that isn't me is, is not the right thing to, to do. And we had, we've had we had some brilliant things. Like Rob Beckett pretended this year that to get annoyed that um, that he was under the mask and that we'd re-edited the entire series so that he wasn't under it. It, it. It's a whole world of sort of double bluff. And so, yeah, social media is very much our friend. It's very rare that it sort of bites us on the bum in the way it can do other sort of more traditional uh, constructed reality shows or shows like Love Island for example but yeah we're like luck- we're lucky uh, social media is our friend.
0: Is it your friend Naz?
3: I, <laughs> I think it's so weird so like Made in Chelsea and Towie all started without sort of the real advent of social media so people could be unapologetically themselves and we try and keep that going you know cast aren't a brand they are themselves they are real people but also you know that's the one thing you can't necessarily protect them from which is which is difficult but you can prepare them and you can equip them with you know talks with psych and you know social media training and things like that it is really important it's part of our world so we have to learn to live with it um but equally like kind of like Dan said you can make it your friend as well
4: yeah yeah Um, I suppose social media is 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 like I mean Again, probably a whole nother podcast because it's so we, we are providing a platform. We're responsible for providing a stage, if you like, for people to come and perform on in lots of different ways, whether it's a quiz show or a reality show. And We have an enormous responsibility to help them before, during and after those moments. And that has only got greater as time has gone on. And we take it incredibly seriously as all producers and hopefully commissioners and everybody does now that we are, putting somebody on television is a real responsibility and making sure that they're happy and prepared and can cope with what may or may not come their way is 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 is, is common sense for a start and but also it's nuanced it's it's more sophisticated than it used to be and rightly so very proud of the stuff that itv does around that now and yeah social media is is can be sometimes a friend of a show but obviously it can be very very hurtful if you you know if you do if, if you're not ready to cope with that and but we would be nothing without the contestants on our show without the contributors and so we always have to remember to look after them in the best way possible because we can't control what those other platforms how they're treating them which is yeah. sad
0: so I referenced, I think before we started recording, I am uh, a very big fan of the Unreal podcast in that they talk about, um, I think it's Phil Edgar-Jones talks about on Big Brother, the kind of talk of doom before participants join. And I suppose, do you guys have a modern version of the talk of doom before you start where you kind of prep the the talent it's, and the it's, participants? It's still called the talk of doom.
2: <laughs> it, it has evolved but but yeah i feel Naz, you must give a, a much more enhanced sort of next level 2.0 talk of doom from what yes. we used to on big brother
3: and the talk of doom is the shorthand really between producers we would never say that to cast, but it, it isn't doom it's, it's actually you're about to do something huge let's hold hands with you and walk you through this and if anything scares you stop us ask questions and we'll you know We'll reassess. So I think it's more that. So it's Absolutely. less doom. It's more like we're, we're in this with you.
0: Yeah.
4: And it's done verbally and it's done in writing and it's done much, hopefully much more with care and thought and in depth than ever before.
0: Could you talk uh, yeah. me through, guys, maybe a couple of the things that you make sure that people are aware of before before they start something?
2: There's a, a, There is now the feeling that what you put out is there for the rest of your lives. Whereas before... Something could appear on television and then it would just disappear. It might be repeated once, maybe twice, but then it would go into an archive. That's not the case anymore. When it's out there on any kind of media, it's out there in perpetuity. And so anything you do or anything you say will be with you for the rest of your days. So that's where you sort of start off from. Again, it doesn't. it's not necessarily a negative thing, but it can be a negative thing if, if you know, what you said when you were 19 years old in Magaluf, it's gonna come back to haunt you when you're 39 years old and living in Wigan. So <laughs> trying to get a job as a, you know, an upstanding member of the community and you swore a lot at someone or whatever. So that's where you sort of start off is that everything is sort of permanent now.
0: And it doesn't have to be, as you say, necessarily a bad thing because there are a lot of people that have been on these shows that then become really beloved, could be that they're really funny, like your Gemma Collins, uh, Naz you worked with her didn't you? I have, um, yeah.
3: I love Gemma Collins
0: <laughs> and she's I a love it she says talent. it how it is. <laughs> people, People absolutely adore her so yeah. I suppose when you're having that supposed talk of doom it doesn't have to be that way but I think maybe a lot of people go on to shows hoping that they're gonna get that kind of status and there must be some level of there's every chance that you, something you say might be taken the wrong way. People say the wrong thing all the time and you have to find a way to make sure that people are prepared for both of those things.
3: Absolutely. And, and also when things go wrong, it's it can be OK. For example, Gemma falling through the stage. It, she owned that moment and she made it a meme and it comes back. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be so scary if you have the right support. And sometimes if you have the right mindset and, you know, we can facilitate that with help and with producers and with site care. You know, we, like I say, you know, and, and it doesn't, that kind of support doesn't just stop when you stop recording. It's always there. It's very much an open door policy, definitely on Made in Chelsea and I'm, I'm certain on other shows as well and on other networks and channels.
4: And absolutely, I think, I think sort of coming back to our first point, we're asking people to be their authentic selves which is you know that's a a lot to ask of people and if we are asking them to do that then we we're asking them to put themselves in sometimes you know a vulnerable emotional position which makes our responsibility even greater you know as we search for these ever more real moments and so it's also thinking about ideas that we get pitched now it's about sort of creating moments that people that are celebratory and are triumphant and are glorious and all of those things in within a sort of, you know, within formats that support them probably more than ever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I suppose that's one of the things that we look for these days.
0: Yeah. It definitely feels like over the last 10 years or so, the tone surrounding reality has really changed. I think a lot of shows... So, like there's something about Miriam, for instance, obviously US show, there was a tendency to kind of revel in a bit of shock and there was there's definitely a bad side to reality TV, but I think that the focus now is very much on trying to lift people up and celebrate different people. And I think the kind of heyday of shows that looked down on people is over. Would you would you guys agree?
2: Yeah, I think there was, a, there was an arrogance in the early days that reality would write itself, and it did. A lot of the times, there was a lot of the times when baddies uh, got their comeuppance when they left the house, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like we sort of learned as producers that that's not always the case, and it's our, our duty of care not just to let things play out sometimes. We don't want people to, we don't want to let people slip up as prevalently as we would have before. I feel like that's not fun to watch. And and we certainly don't want to be doing that as producers.
3: And also, you never want to vilify anyone um, because that's not, you know, there's no longevity in having a villain that has no um, nice characteristics or redeeming features because, you know, we all make mistakes and yes, we can be villainous one week and then the next week. We show why we got angry and we, you know, we said what we did and we did what we did. You know, it, that's what's important is showing all levels and all facets. And that's that's being fair as a producer as well. And actually giving cast the chance to redeem themselves and show their true selves. And I think that's the best way. Mm. We're not always perfect.
4: I <laughs> think, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but I think as the world has, has got seemingly darker, you know, we've reached for shows Uh, um, that have have lifted us up, you know, in in all different shapes and sizes. Love Island, it absolutely caught the zeitgeist, you know, in series three because there was so much going on in the country that felt antagonistic. And then there was this sort of summer of love, quite literally. I remember in in series three where everyone went, oh, my God, there's this haven at nine o'clock that I can just tune into and forget about what else is going on. And, you know, we've all we find it with different shows for all our, you know, whether it's Bake Off or Britain's Got Talent, or I'm a big fan of of Gogglebox, shows where you're able to have humour and people's characters are allowed to shine, and all of those things in a time when you don't particularly want to open a newspaper. That that ages me because no one buys newspapers who's under <laughs> 25.
0: Um. <laughs> I buy them from time to time. But I'm, I'm also a massive nerd. <laughs> Oh what a printed <laughs> bit of paper once a day no i completely agree i think entertainment has definitely become very escapist it's it's something that you can sit back and relax and i think a show like made in chelsea you're not watching it because they're exactly like you you kind of watch it as like an mm. aspirational same with, same with love island you're watching like all these beautiful people kind of talk about how much they fancy each other and it's just you sit back and as you say it was a haven. Speaking of actually I did want to kind of touch down on subjects like dating and romance because they just seem to continue to really deeply resonate. Joe, I don't know how much interest you have in terms of commissioning dating and romance shows but also Naz in terms of Made in Chelsea it started off as a love triangle right and the probably the most interesting storylines on the show are the ones where it's romance between different characters
3: yeah i think like even as a human going down the pub what's the most exciting conversation who's dating who who's swiped on you know what guy on on the dating app that is what you want to hear so i think yeah it just feeds into human nature so we we do we do want the love story story as well and so i think we're always chasing that you know We've been bombarded with that, you know, in rom-coms. So, you know, the appetite has always been there historically through films and musicals and and music. So, yeah, it's just, it just prevails and it's, yeah, brilliant. But the thing is, I guess it can become oversaturated as a market. So actually the thought of pitching a dating show to someone like Joe could be intimidating because you're like, oh, what hasn't been done before? What are you sick of, you know, listening to? I don't know, Drew, you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> what would well,
4: you like no, to see? <laughs> well, I, you know, it's so interesting because dating's evolved so much, you know, partly because of Love Island, you know, back in the day, Blind Date was, it's Love Island, you know, that was our route into sort of entertainment and, and dating. And obviously studio dating shows on Saturday night, we just did Romeo and Duet, which was a lovely, sweet, inclusive, fun kind of celebration, A bit, a bit bonkers, but sort of like, singing and dating you know we get pitched a million different combinations of shopping and dating you know rock climbing and dating and you know whatever and and you sort of nowadays have to go back to that again to say authenticity you know having something that's really authentic at the middle of a show is probably more important than ever when it comes to dating and relationships more than more than anything really.
0: And Dan, when you're when you've been kind of consuming reality and obviously working on things like Big Brother, whereas those human relationships, how much how much stock do you put into making sure that that is front and center, especially kind of relationship wise? And that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, that could be platonic relationships as well.
2: I think if you go back to the beginning of Big Brother, things like Paul and Helen's relationships, Chicken Stew and Michelle or Pete <laughs> and Nicky Graham. I feel like what we learned very, very early on was that being in a reality environment sort of makes romance happen more often and and more accelerated. I think we were all quite shocked at first. How can they be in love so quickly? But now we sort of, we understand that if you put people under the, the heat of a camera in a, in a restricted environment, they do fall in love. It's a natural thing and it's genuine. And I think for me, what was the big breakout was Peter Andre and Katie Price, neither of which were... You know, I don't, no offence Peter and Katie, the most liked people in the world. Katie particularly at that time was very unpopular uh, and Peter was a bit of a joke. But we all, as viewers, fell in love with their love affair. We all totally bought into it and it elevated both of them as people to us as well. It changed our opinion of them. And I still believe that it must be someone in ITV Towers saw that and said, that's brilliant, let's bottle that and that's where Celebrity Love Island came from it wasn't long. I don't know, Joe, if you know whether that was the direct inspiration the Katie and Peter Romance. But Love Island, Celebrity Love Island, the first iteration came out shortly after that, which was literally let's make celebrities fall in love. And since then, we've not looked back. It does. It, they do go hand in hand, dating, romance and reality. We love, as, as, as Naz said, we, we just love. A hollywood narrative don't we
3: yeah I, I, dan did i work with you um on the big brother with john james and josie because it was such yes. an unlikely romance and we it lived was. for it and it was beautiful and it enfolded and it was coy and shy and it was just everything it's everything that you wanted actually and it was just a joy to watch when we were in the gallery because you, you were seeing your, that rush of love which is just so beautiful to watch actually And it feels mm-hmm. like quite a privilege to watch it
2: Completely unforced and that was series what 10 or something yeah. do you know what I mean when when we we've got past showmances we've seen through them and this was such an unlikely coupling and so genuine it was amazing you're absolutely right in the gallery we felt privileged.
0: Yeah that's really sweet and I suppose that's part of the magic of reality but it's also what makes it so hard to bottle is when you're casting people for things like that you never think this person will be great for this person. It's one of those things where the best ones just happen completely spontaneously, but then having, for Joe, it must be a nightmare because it's like, you can't look at a pitch and see what's going to happen once the cameras start rolling.
4: Well, yeah, and I, at this point, probably worth giving a shout out to the casting producers and the welfare producers who make my part of the industry work, You know, whether it's a quiz show or a game show or a reality show. The, the, the work that they put into looking after caring for casting and the welfare that they, they put around them is brilliant. Just to give you a small example, you know, if, if you're making a quiz show, for example, and the, the people that are often last at the studio, helping those contestants who have been on the show, maybe have won or maybe have lost, helping them into their taxes at the end of a 14 hour day, it'll be the casting producer or the casting AP. And that, those moments, I know that that's only a tiny example, but those moments where the production work with the contestants, it, it's so important. And so the, the skills that those teams have are so vital to what we do. And, and anyway, I just wanted to give them a yeah. shout out because they're the kind of in the engine room. So yeah, in terms of when people pitch stuff, you go, yeah, I can sort of see that. That's why we do things like casting tapes and yeah. you know, pilots yeah. and stuff like that,
0: yeah. And establishing those relationships is so important because then once you've got that level of trust, that's where you can explore those trickier subjects. Now, as you mentioned at the start about the gay marriage, there's a halopecia storyline, there was a miscarriage story, and you can only really build those if the people on the show really, really trust you. So how do you navigate that? It must be quite Difficult for them to expose themselves in such a way.
3: I think it's just talking to them. So you know, having sometimes daily cast chats and and just sort of and with particularly with with Paris. You know, I was talking about being of mixed heritage, and she was mentioning it too. And and then sort of broaching the fact that actually, do you find dating difficult as a person of colour? You know, and then we then we you know got onto colorism in dating and how she got really confused when you know the the black lives matter movement happened and she had all these conflicting feelings and she didn't realize how lots of people's treatment of her was based on their perception of her race so um you know she she was like she she didn't want to be a spokesperson on on the behalf of, of all race issues but she just wanted to say I felt this feeling when I have dated before and I don't think it's right. And I'm going to tell my friends and we were like, okay, we'll support you. And that's what we did. And we also took advice from a diversity and inclusion officer about how best to tell that story so you get the right message out there. So, and I think, you know, like people always say, oh, reality stars, they just want that boo-hoo deal. It's, It's not the case. Sometimes actually the platform isn't all about commercial success. It's about making someone feel better. Like for TIFF to open up to everyone, you know, in the UK and beyond about a miscarriage story when some people even struggle to tell their mum, their dad, their friends, like that takes a real bravery and hats off to her because it's so commendable.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to wrap up with one final question for each of you. As a final question to you all, I'd really like to ask outside of your own shows, what is your favorite reality tv show whether it's one that you're watching now or a historic one and why is it that you love that show
4: i'm going to say two i'm going to say four in a bed which is my go-to chill out music um (laughs) and race across the world i thought was like a spectacular eye-catching reality show of the last few years those two would be Outside of obviously all the ones on ITV, which I love.
0: And um.
2: Okay, technically I have worked on it, but uh, it predates <laughs> me and it, it continued after I left. Uh, I think it would have to be the celebrity iteration of Big Brother. I feel like if you go back to the first ever one that was on BBC One, weirdly, as part of Comet Relief when Jack D jumped over the wall. It I was know uh, that. <laughs> yeah, it was on BBC One, it was so weird. Uh, just, the, it was the first show to really show us what celebrities are like when their guards are down, the nuances, the neurosis, all the weirdness. And I feel like it's still a very relevant show today. I love Love Island. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've got I've got maybe two as well, so I'm going to be greedy. The first one I don't know if it's strictly a reality show, but there are it's all about re- being real. And um, mm-hmm. it's it's a show that's on BBC iPlayer, but I don't I think it's an acquisition. It's called Couples Therapy, and it's shot beautifully behind camera hides, and it's couples going through therapy over a course of eleven sessions. I thought it was the most moving piece of television I've seen in a long time, and there's two series, and you like you right, fall in love I with these characters or you can't you're like how are they married why are they together <laughs> so I, I love that and then MasterChef I do love MasterChef because it's a simple format in some ways but the pressure is real and the f- food creation is exciting so yeah even though it's been going for years I still love watching it
0: well, I think those shows that have been going for years you guys are kind of examples of it there's a reason why they've been going for years it's because people love them
4: can I add one more of course <laughs> because I've realised I've watched almost as much of this as I have of <laughs> the other ones. But it just, maybe it just doesn't stay in my brain for very long, say yes to the dress. Because I live in a oh. house with <laughs> of some women, um, that we watch a lot of reality television and that is obviously the original New York one, not the spin-offs, mm. yeah. that probably won't make the edit. But you know what? I'm just throwing it out there, I don't care.
3: You're owning it Joe. it's fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think Don't Tell the Bride was a serious, guilty pleasure of mine, but I, yeah. was, I was really young and just <laughs> could not comprehend, like, costs of weddings or anything like that. But I'd be like, God, that that groom is an absolute idiot buying your address. <laughs> yeah. What's he thinking? <laughs> that, is, that is the joy of it, though. And um, I think I'll wrap it up there. But thank you guys so much for joining. It's been so nice to see you. Thanks, thank Heather. You. Thanks
2: thank you.
1: It's interesting how the talk of doom that was really referenced a lot in Unreal as being, you know, this kind of panic inducing, are you sure you're ready for this, has kind of had to be updated and you have to consider in now the internet and social media. And, you know, it obviously still happens and I think it's still really important. But I guess in more modern terms, we're calling the talk of doom just duty of care simply. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. And they both, they all had a really positive outlook on the genre because I think there have been so many issues and it's definitely worth highlighting and they were clearly taking it all very seriously but it's also just nice to hear that sometimes having authentic conversations can be really beneficial and I thought overall I felt quite positive about reality tv by the end of our chat
1: Mm, I can't wait to see what exciting formats kind of are coming out of the latest iteration of what reality tv is it makes me quite excited for the future
0: and Dan said, uh, I kind of alluded to it at the start, that Bandicoot are now moving into the reality space once more. So I'm really excited to see what Dan's putting out soon.
1: Yeah, super exciting. And that is it for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with a very, very exciting episode. I don't want to be too much of a tease, but I think this could be one of my favourite episodes. But we are recording the day after the Broadcast Digi Awards this week.
0: Yep, could be very interesting. We'll be doing our best to be as chirpy as possible, both with our lovely guests and some possibly quite strong hangovers.
1: Luke said, Sports at the ready. But if you can't wait for that, please do check out our previous episodes with Dolly Alderton, Jack Rook, Hugo Chegwin, Sarah Sante, all talking about great stuff and great series that they've got out.
0: And if you're feeling generous, please do rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening.
1: But thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.
0: Bye. Bye.